I want to paint a picture of where we're going today. She gently scooted her chair back and she went over to the corner of the room where her three children were. They were all asleep on the mat and as she bent down, she put her fingers in her daughter's brown locks of hair, just kind of rubbed the massage just to make sure that she didn't startle, that she was asleep. And she looks over and she can actually hear her five-year-old lightly snoring. She knows for sure he's out for the night. And so she gets up she walks across the room where there's a candle at a table that's barely lighting the room. And there sits her husband. He's actually feet from her, but he's a million miles away. Deep in thought. Contemplating the conversation that he and his wife have been having for weeks now. She gets his attention as she sits and looks in his eyes. They pick up this conversation. They understand that this is the most important decision that they have ever made together, both personally and for their family. And yet it hasn't been easy. It hasn't been clear. It hasn't, it hasn't been necessarily uh, what they thought it was going to be. And so they feel this weight, this pressure, knowing that their family has turned their back on them, knowing that, that they're the outcast of society in their community, feeling the glares and the stares, and as they have felt comfortable enough to share with their closest of friends, getting to look like, are you crazy? What are you doing? So it's left this husband and wife to sit and to contemplate, what are we doing? What have we done? See, the entire city revolves around this temple. It's made of the goddess Artemis. And this entire city of Ephesus, all of its commerce, its economy, its trade, its wealth, all of it, it's because of this goddess that is worshiped and adored here. This city literally holds one of the seven greatest wonders of the world. Tourists come from all over to this city. So much so now that this is the third largest city in the entire Roman Empire. But it's what's happening in this small house church that has this couple keyed up, anxious in their decisions. They've heard the stories talked about this man named Jesus from across the sea. Putting a face and the truth to the rumors they heard about how Jesus had come and literally thousands had gathered to hear this man teach. To hear the words that this rabbi, this teacher, this Messiah, what he had to say. They heard the stories of how he can make the lame walk, how he can bring sight to the blind, how he could cast out demons, how even though the Roman government can crucify him, 
on a cross and put him in a tomb, he can walk out three days later. Oh yes, they had heard the stories. They had believed him in the heart. They knew that they were true. And so this was the truth that they were following. They loved the fact of when a couple times a week they could gather in this home because they had some camaraderie with others that were struggling with some of the same things that they were struggling with. The family that had turned their backs on them. The looks and the gossips in the marketplace when they'd go to get their groceries. They were now the outcast of their city, of society. But all across these homes, many of the same conversations we're having could be mirrored like they were for our couple as they sit at this table in this dimly lit room with their children asleep saying, okay, we believe, but now what? What do we do? What does it mean to be a Christian? What does it mean to follow this Messiah, this rabbi, this one that came that brings life and brings it abundantly? What do we do with that? They look forward to going the services in church where a young man named Timothy was a pastor of this church in Ephesus and to hear and to talk together with others. But the questions were all the same. What do we do next? What is gonna change? They felt the change coming. They could see it. The change was happening all around them and the way that people reacted to them and the way people talked to them and the way that people treated them as outcasts. But, but how, what about the change that's going on within inside of us? So they're asking these questions and then one day a letter arrives. The Apostle Paul had wrote a letter to the church of Ephesus. We just read it a moment ago. It's the book of Ephesians. In which he writes to this church and says, okay, you believe, you know, let me tell you how you live a Christian life. Finally, something that they could sink their teeth into. Finally, some action. Finally, some, some, some words from the Apostle Paul and which now gives them some instructions. Are These are the things that we need to do. This is how we're to be different than our neighbor. So I can only imagine the excitement as they read this letter probably over and over and over again and wrestled with these words from Paul. What is my part in the change process? I love that we get a glimpse into these people's lives as they wrestle with how to live out what they believe. I think it's so relevant to us today because they live in a culture much like us, in a society much like us, that wants nothing to do with God. And so Christians are to be different than the word. They're, they're to speak different. They're to act different. Now, polarizing that can be. We get a glimpse of this young church of saying, man, so now you've learned, what am I going to do with what I've learned, with what I know? It says it on your outline in verse 20. Paul says, since you have heard about Jesus and have learned the truth that comes from him, now that you know, now that you believe, 
about this, Jesus, what difference is it going to make in your life? Gosh, I love, I love the fact that, you know, I, I made up a story about a couple that is, in context, probably very relevant to their times, and it's still relevant to us in 2023. Because as a follower of Jesus, you and I need to ask the same question. How are we going to be different? What does it mean out of my life, in my city, in my town, in my home, in my workplace, to live out this faith that I say that I have? And how am I a part of the change that God is wanting to do within me? See, I think some of us come to church, we click in our hour and a half. It's not going to be that long today because somebody's not here. <laughs> and and, uh, and we, get, we get to say, well, that's how I'm going to grow spiritually. If I just come and I just listen to the words and then all of a sudden, magically, something's going to transform my life and I'm going to be talking differently and acting differently and thinking differently. And anybody who's believed that and tried to live that out, you know, gosh, there's not much that looks different or sounds different from the unbeliever. And so as a Christ follower... There are two myths about being a believer that we believe. I want you to write them down. The first one is that spiritual growth just happens over time. Just by showing up, just by being here, all of a sudden, I am growing as a follower of Jesus. That's what it means to live the life. There's a part of us that thinks that just by coming, that spiritual growth is magically going to happen, and yet we know just by hearing that it doesn't sound right. Just by hearing it and not, not, not doing anything about it isn't going to grow us and change us. It just doesn't happen that way. You know, anybody who's ever played a sports or an instrument and you've been really good at it, isn't, isn't it true that it takes hours and hours and hours of practice? How many times do you swing the bat? How many times do you throw the ball? How many times do you shoot the hoop? How many laps do you swim in the pool? How many hours do you spend practicing an instrument? My 16-year-old was on keys today. Let me just tell you, he spends hours and hours and hours giving us a concert every day. To the detriment of his sister, who's in the bedroom right next to him, who has to put her earphones on at 10 o'clock at night so she can sleep. Because he wants to, he wants to get better. He loves it. He's consumed by it. And we can hear the difference in his play because of the practice. The other myth is that spiritual growth is measured by how much that we know. Guess what? Not only do I show up every week, I take notes. Anybody got pages and pages of notes over the years? We've been doing notes forever. I got binders of notes. I've asked uh, Carrie now. She scans them for me because uh, I'm, she's tired of killing trees. I got decades worth of notes. I've heard incredible messages. I've written down things that, 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 that a pastor has said, you know, that's just come alive that I've never seen in the scripture before or something the Holy Spirit has prompted me and I've written it down. That doesn't bring change. Because knowledge isn't necessarily going to be the thing that grows me. 
A great example of this is, it's not in your outline, but you can mark it down. Mark chapter 10, verse 17 to 25 is a story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and he wants assurance of his salvation. He wants assurance of, of going to heaven and his belief. And so, so he goes to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? And I'm paraphrasing in my, in my Ronnie language. And, and, he, and he goes, Jesus explains, well, if you keep the commandments... Yes, I keep the commandments. I'm a religious man. I honor, I honor the, the teachings and I follow them to a letter to the law. I'm, I'm, I'm fully religious. And, and Jesus explains to him, it's not about your religion. It's about your relationship and your obedience. And knowing the man's heart, he says, go and sell all that you have and then come follow me. And if you know the story, it says the man went away very sad. Because he was a rich man. He was a rich man. And so you can have all the knowledge, but if you don't have the obedience to follow, you're not going to grow. You're not living the Christian life that God has called you to. Spiritual growth is, is both knowing God and knowing what he says and obeying. Now let me give you the two truths that can catapult us if, if we've been stuck in one of these two myths, one of these two lies. The first one is, it's a result of our daily decisions. You wanna make change in your life, you wanna grow spiritually in your relationship with Jesus, it's about the daily decisions that you make and walking with him. It's gotta be more than the hour and 30 minutes on a Sunday. It's gotta be more than just listening to a podcast or a message in your car ride to and from work. It's a process that has to be intentional, that spiritual growth and change just doesn't happen. Let me illustrate it. June 3rd, 1995, I'm a 20-year-old punk kid standing at the altar waiting for my bride to come down. Service starts at 6 o'clock. By 6.30, I am now a husband. An amazing husband. I don't know what's so funny. That was not a joke. You guys already get the point. Right? Just because I got married and an officiant signed the piece of paper and I made a covenant before God and my friends doesn't make me an amazing husband. It was not what happened on June 5th. It's what happened on June 6th, 7th, 8th. And for the last 28 years of being married to this woman, these daily decisions that says, man, I come from a broken home. I come from a jacked up family. I want to be different. I'm going to do different. And so the decisions that I make on a daily basis are going to reflect the, the man that I want to be, the husband that I want to be, the father that I want to be. And it's the same thing with the Christian life. It's a daily decision that says, I'm a Christ follower. And it's those daily decisions that are going to dictate to me how I'm going to live, how I'm going to speak, what I'm going to do, what I'm not going to do. The second truth is that it's measured more by our actions than our beliefs. You can believe there's a God. You can believe that this is the word of God. You can have one, two, or a dozen of these all in your house. But just because you have it, just because you've read it, just because you know it, if you're not doing it, let me just say you don't really know it. You're not really living it. 
It's your actions. Another passage of scripture that's not in your outline, but I love this, this, this chapter in the Bible. It's James chapter one. The whole, the whole chapter is amazing, but, but verse 19 through 25 talks about a mirror. I love picture illustrations. I bet you I was an incredible kindergartner because I love picture books. Because in my mind, if I can see the picture, it can paint the story and I can see it. And, and, and he paints a picture, James does in chapter one, that says, it's like a man who goes and looks in a mirror and then turns and walks away and forgets what he looks like. And I don't know how many of you have gone to the mirror and looked in there and you've seen some flaws, you've seen some things. Maybe you got an inch of nose hair that's sticking out that needs to be trimmed, and then you walk away, and then it's like you don't do nothing about it. You have the mirror that exposes and shows you, and yet you've made the choice just to say, oh, I guess you know, it's not a big deal. Maybe I'm bringing sexy back. I don't know. <laughs> but you don't act on what you see. There's no action. There's no, there's no follow-through. constantly come to the word of God, you hear the word of God, you see the word of God, and yet you walk out and you go do the things that you want to do. Contrary to what God is speaking to you, what God is showing you, what he's revealing to you. So what is God calling me to do? I don't know, maybe it's to get rid of hypocrisy. Maybe it's to deal with my anger. Maybe he's speaking to me about an area of my life that he sees as as a lack of character or integrity that I've been able to hide from others, but I haven't been able to hide from him. And then be obedient to making the changes necessary. What do we want to do? Real quick, I want to get, go back to the text. I want to pull out the my part. Because if you can, you, can, you can imagine, you know, the first couple chapters of Ephesians of who God is, who he wants to be, it's all about salvation and who, who Jesus is and wants to be in your life. But you get to chapter four, it's how does that impact me in the way that I interact at home and, and how I interact with my friends, how I interact in the workplace. How is living out my faith going to make a difference that people are going to see you and say, man, there's something different about you. Honestly, one of my goals, and I don't like when people introduce me as the pastor, and I don't like to be called a pastor. Just call me Ronnie. I want you to see there's something different about me. I don't need a title that says that. I don't, I need, I don't need, and you don't need anything that's going to Draw attention other than your actions, other than your words, other than your heart that's going to come out that shows that you love people, that you care about people. So this couple, this young church in Ephesus, this, this church here at North Point, Paul's going to lay out to us what it means to live a Christian life. And because I'm a great theologian and I have all these great fill in the blanks that are just so catchy, I made it so simple. And I made it simple because I think simple. I'm not, I'm not as good as Steve and Shane in, in creating these, these great things, and I wrestle with this. This is my hardest part of, of, of a message prep, is not 
being up here, the hardest part is, oh my gosh, how am I going to say this and put it in a note form and then So I made it easy on myself. And you can actually just read the scripture because that's all I'm doing is I'm taking it from the scripture. Here's my part. The first thing he says is I need to put off. I know deep. I'm deep like that. I need to put off. And a question, if you haven't read the verse and you're not skipping ahead, is what do I need to put off? And Paul says what you need to put off. Ephesians 4.22 was read earlier. It says, throw off your old sinful nature and your former way of life. Why? Because it's corrupted by lust and deception. Again, you know what I love about the picture that Paul points here? Because, because oftentimes I've read this you know, numerous times, and it says, and, and I, even, I even said it wrong. You filled it out wrong, so you know, we're both blaming this. Because Paul didn't say put off. I'm being nice. What does Paul say? What a great picture. He says, throw it off. Throw off this sinful nature. Throw off these things that have been holding you back. Throw off this, this way of life in which you were trying to do it all yourself and it's not been working. And, and throw off, off what you think is cool or popular or what fits in in your, in your family circle or in your community. Throw that off. That's the old nature. That's, that's sin. That's the world. But us, we like to hold on to certain things, right? You know, like I'll throw off my jacket, but I don't want to keep my shirt, you know. Spend a lot of money on this thing. We like to pick and choose. But he's saying, throw off your entire sinful nature, throw it off. Because it's corrupted by lust and deception. There's no greater deceit, can I tell you, than lust? It is a deceit straight from Satan. There's no greater deceit than that of the desires of the flesh to have something or have someone that doesn't belong to you, you shouldn't have, is not appropriate. But we justify in our minds, it says that if I can just indulge myself, I'll be happy. Lust says if I can just indulge myself, I will be satisfied. And I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I believe that there's probably many of us that would raise their hand and say, man, I've, I've, I've bitten off this lie. I believed it. You're not going to be satisfied. Scripture says you're going to be, it's going to destroy you. It's going to destroy you. When you continue to live in that old sinful nature, when you refuse to put off that old sinful way and you allow deceit and deception and lust to, to come in and, and, and rule and take root in your heart, then, then the, it's going to destroy you. Paul is talking to a young church in which this goddess who represents sensuality, childbearing, provocative, they say that the Ephesus was an equivalent of what we can probably picture or summarize as Las Vegas of today. This is, this is the culture. This is what they're living in. And he's not asking them to flee. He's not telling them, you want to live a Christian life, leave. 
Move at move. Let's start your own community. He's saying, no, within society, within your culture, within this, put off that way. It's no good. It's not good. I can tell you, I, I, uh, this last year we went and visited family in Arizona and our way. We're like, you know what? Let's take uh, our kids. Let's go to Las Vegas. Now, before all you judgy people want to start <laughs> looking at me, I think anything that you, you can use, you can use things as a teaching, a teaching tool. You can use things and, and places, and there's a lot about Las Vegas. In fact, guess what? There are believers in Las Vegas. There are great people that love Jesus in Las Vegas. There are good shows, wholesome family shows, if you search them out, in Las Vegas. There's more than just the casinos and, and, and the provocative, provocative, provocative women and, and all the, there's all kinds of wholesome things in Las Vegas. And so we took them and we thought this would be a great teaching. We wanted to see the architecture. Some of those casinos, they're amazing. And so to be able to tell your kids, guess what? Losers built that. And then to walk through, you know, we walk through New York, New York, and the kids, because we're getting ready to go to New York this, in a couple weeks, and my kids have only known New York through New York Casino in Las Vegas. And, and so as we're showing them, it's like, yeah, but losers built that. It's a great lesson. Don't get sucked into it. The people that came here and they won, they didn't build this thing. They took their money and they left, but the losers... They're building that. And so be careful what you allow in and be careful of those, of those areas. And so it's a great teaching moment for us to say, man, you, there's some people that can go and, and, and I'm not passing judgment, but you gotta be careful. Put off the old way. Put it off. Now, maybe you say, Ronnie, where do I start? Where do I start? Now, um, for those of you who have, have sought me out for marriage counseling, you know that I suck at marriage counseling. I lack empathy, and so when stupid people do stupid things, I just tell them that they're being stupid. And if you stop doing stupid things and start doing godly things, things will improve. I don't get a lot of second visits. Um, <laughs> but every once in a while, Somebody will actually come and ask for some counsel from me. And so if we were to go out on the patio today and have a cup of coffee, and you're asking me, okay, where do I start? I would do what a lot of counselors get paid a lot of money doing, and that is I'd say, will you tell me? Right? Don't we want to go to counseling and have them fix our problems and tell all the things? I've been to counseling numerous times, and it's, it's brilliant. They charge me an exuberant amount of money, and then I do all the talking? Because the reality is, is that you already know. And by me talking it out with my counselor, I, or I, come, to my, I come to the conclusions that he's leading me to by talking it out. God, the Holy Spirit has already come, and, and, and in this message today, I believe that his word does not return void, and I believe that his spirit is speaking, and he knows what areas that you need to change. He knows what you need to put off. And so rather than going through this embarrassing encounter out on the patio of you sharing with me, why don't you sit down with your journal and just start scratching those things out and putting it on paper. You've heard it from him. 
Let it flow through your pencil onto paper and then your eyes to see. That's where I need to start. That's what he's calling me to put off. What does he want to change in your heart? What does he want to change in your attitude, in your actions? Maybe it's your lack of forgiveness. Maybe it's your gossip. Maybe it's your greed. I'll tell you what it is. It's what you haven't given to him that you're holding on to and you want to control. Colossians 3, 5, 7, 3, 5, and then 7 through 9 says, put, so put to death the sinful earthly things lurking within you, having nothing to do, have nothing to do with sexual immorality, impurity, lusts, and evil desires. Don't be greedy, for the greedy person is an idolater, worshiping the things of this world. You used to do these things when your life was still was still part of this world. Underline, circle, highlight, whatever you do to capture this. But now is the time. Now's the time to get rid of anger and rage and malice behavior, slander and dirty language. Don't lie to each other, for you have stripped off your old sinful nature and all its wicked deeds. Put off whatever it is. Take it off. Here's... Back to our text, the second thing is that you think differently. Right? Think differently. It goes right on from 22 to 23, Ephesians, where it says, instead, let the Spirit renew your thoughts and attitudes. I have to think differently if I really want change in my life. What am I allowing to influence me? Do I have friends in my life that are encouraging me and edifying me and building me up? Or do I have a friend circle full of gossip and negativity? I, I walked my son, one of my sons through this, this past week because it, we, my wife and I found this pattern in which we kept hearing his negative, negative. Everything was so negative. Negative about his friends, negative about church, negative about, uh, about school and his teachers, negative about this, negative. And so we begin to say, man, let's, let's, just, let's just think about this. For every negative about the situation, the person, whatever it is, let's think, of what's, the, what's the positive in that? What's the positive? Because as you begin to see and, and, and identify, instead of looking at things negatively, and you say, man, here's the positive aspect. Here's the positive redeeming thing about this situation, about this conversation, about this relationship. It begins to change your thoughts. And your thoughts then begin to change your attitude. And so luckily, I had the entire car ride with him locked in while I got to preach this message to him. Nowhere to escape. But I wasn't just teaching it to him because, friends, I, I ought to be honest with you, I can spiral really fast. I can get caught up in that same negativity in which the world is falling apart and, and we, we just, we live in a place in which, gosh, it just, it scares me for my children, it scares me for my grandchildren. And I can go there. So what kind of music are we listening to? What kind of TV shows, what kind of things are we watching? What kind of political news has been consuming us? What are the things in our, in our sphere of influence that we're allowing now to, 
have a hold on the way that we think and our attitude and our perspective. Colossians 3.1 says, since you have been raised to a new life with Christ, set your sights on the realities of heaven where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. I love this. Think about the things of heaven, not the things of earth. Man, this, this week I, I thought that verse, I got it highlighted in my Bible just from this week because too many times I'm thinking about the things of earth. And you guys know the song, this is just our temporary home. But for a minute. You want to change your attitude, you want to change your mind, start beginning to think about your future as a Christ follower. And the realities of that. So it's putting off, it's changing our thinking. Here's third from your text today, it's to put on. The very next verse, Paul is telling the church what to put on. Put on your new nature, he says in Ephesians 4, 24. Created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. He's saying start acting like the person God's called you to be. Even though you might not feel like the person God's called you to be, start acting like it. Have you ever acted your way into a feeling? You fake it until you make it and all those other great cliches that that we believe. It's putting those things on that make us righteous and holy in his sight. The visual that we have here, let me give you a visual. How many, uh, how many people uh, work out? In a, how many people have ever worked out? Okay, that's probably a better question, right? So, so you'll, you'll be able to relate. You know, you go, if you put on any, any sort of effort in your workout, um, you're gonna perspire. If you're a female, you're gonna sweat like a hog if you're a guy. Both stink, by the way. And, and if you ever had teenagers that did PE and they left their clothes in the, in the gym bag for a day or a week, or in our case, a couple weeks, over spring break, they don't smell good. You don't smell good. And so when it says put on this new nature of Christ, Oftentimes what we like to do is we like to go to the gym, we like to go out into the world, we like to have our PE clothes on, we like to get sweaty and dirty and get caught up in the world, and then we decide to try to put on the new things over it. It'd be like going to the gym and working out and then just putting on clothes on top of our gym clothes and going to the work. On the outside, you might look okay, but the reality is you still stink. And as Paul's saying that he wants you to put on these new clothes, put on this new nature of Christ, it means that you've got to take off the old before you put on the new. Can I just say in closing that Jesus didn't come to die for you to continue to live in your old clothes, your old sinful life? Why walk in the same stinky life and just expect God is going to make the change in you? Christ came that we might have life and have it abundantly. He died so that you would have a new nature and a new life in him. So we can put on those things that Pastor Shane mentioned last week. The fruits of the Spirit. Gentle, kindness, self-control. 
Paul's saying to the church that, that you as a believer need to put off the old way of life that changed your thinking and put on the things that I've called you to. Your part in the process is just to say, okay. Your part of the process is going back to the, the, the header of the message is that you just be obedient. And you take those next steps that he's called you to. Colossians 3.10 says, put on your new nature and be renewed as you learn to know your creator and become like him. Again, a great plug for all the different prayer groups that we have, devotional times. We have them Monday, Monday through Friday somewhere. So I think uh, Monday, the ladies are here in the lounge. Tuesdays and Thursdays, we're out at our Bullard campus. Wednesday, there's a men's uh, group that meets here. Friday, there's a group in, in uh, Kerman that meets. But it's, it's that new way to become like him, to spend time in his word. And then Colossians 3.12 says, you must close yourself. I actually, I might not be good at marriage counseling, but I have done a lot of weddings. I want to help you get started on the right, the right foundation as I meet with couples and do premarital counseling, of telling them, you know, Jesus is the foundation. And I usually read this, some form of this passage in the ceremony, where it says that you must clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. He says, make allowances for each other's faults and forgive everyone who's offended you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. And above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony, and let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your heart. Isn't that a great way to live? Doesn't that bring harmony into your home, into your workplace, into your marriage, into your relationship with your friends, your children? When you're putting these things, these, these, these characteristics, these fruits into your life, here's the final thought. Again, I don't have a great fill-in. In fact, I don't even have a fill-in because the fill-in is whatever that you put. Stop. What is the thing that this Holy Spirit says, man, I need to stop because this is the old way and I need to put it off. I was gonna say put off, but then you guys would know my fill-ins and you know, some of you people like to work ahead. But what do you need to put off? What do you need to stop doing? That the Spirit is, is connecting right now in this service saying, man, this isn't what I have for you. And then what do you need to start? What do you need to put on? I'm a firm believer that when you put it on in paper, see, we oftentimes, this, the, the, the Spirit will speak to us, and then we get busy because we live in a, in a fast-paced society and in a culture in which things are moving like this. How many people forget more than they remember? Right? Like, I have all these great thoughts, and then out they come. Write it down. Look at it. For all you note-takers that love to take decades' worth of notes, wouldn't this be a great feeling that you go back and look 10 years from now and say, man, did I stop? Man, would my spouse, would my boss, would my, my friends, would they say that they could see this in me that I started a decade ago and they can see that, man, I'm living this out? You can be part of the process of change by just being obedient and allowing the Spirit to speak to you and then acting on it. 
of what he's telling you that needs to change in life. Bow with me in prayer. Father God, I thank you for your son Jesus. I thank you for his salvation that comes only through him. God, I thank you that this morning that we can read a letter that you wrote to a small church in Ephesus thousands of years ago, but it's still relevant in Fresno, California this morning. God, give us the courage to put off those things that we need to put off. Give us the mindset to think differently and have an attitude that resembles you. God, help us to walk in your spirit and put on those things that are going to speak to those people in our lives that, God, we're living as Christians. People see, we don't even have to, we don't have to name it, we don't have to say it, because people just see there's something different about us in the way that we walk, in the way that we talk, in the way that we make the choices that we make because we're surrendering in obedience to you. God, give us the courage to live that out. We love you and we praise you and all God's people said, amen. amen.